You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Hey, I do want to take a couple of minutes here at the very beginning. First of all, I'll say thank you for being here today. We're glad you're here. Um, but I wanted to take just a couple of minutes to speak about the ruling that came down um, from the Supreme Court a couple of days ago. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're very, very happy um, that... Uh, the sanctity of human life has been recognized once again. It's been at least pushed down to the states for uh, more specific decisions. Um, and I believe it's the result of five decades of effectual, fervent prayer of righteous men and women who have finally seen their prayers avail much. Um, not that they weren't somewhere in the midst of all of that, but, but we believe that you know Friday was a big day. Um, however, what I have realized over the last couple of days on social media that legislation has little to do with the changing of hearts of men and women. And I have seen some of the ugliest um, messaging from the right and the left, no matter what political party you're from. I've also seen it from those who would appear to be, and I'm not the judge, but appear to be non-believers, and I've seen some pretty hatred things from people that I thought were believers. Um, and so, you know, where, where I believe, if we believe in the sanctity of human life, we believe in the sanctity of human life from the womb to the tomb, okay? So from conception till death. And so the same passion that we speak out for the unborn and we want to make sure that we speak up for them I would say that we need to place the same level of value on the people who are born and who don't agree with us and who don't agree with your political stance or your social stance or your religious stance. And there was a passage of scripture that I just wanted to share. You can do with this whatever you want. These two minutes that I'm speaking about this, you do with it whatever you want. But I felt like I needed to speak in this regard. And here's what Paul wrote in Colossians from a prison, okay, and he said, um, continue steadfastly in prayer. Don't ever stop praying, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account, which I, on account of which I am in prison. So Paul is saying, don't stop praying for the things you pray for that are valuable to you, but as you pray, Pray that opportunities present themselves for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be presented. And that's what Paul was saying. That's why he was in prison, was for the sake of the gospel. He said, um, walk in wisdom. He said, that I, may be, that I may make it clear which I, how I ought to speak. He's saying, I wanna make sure that when I speak, I speak correctly. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. And I could preach a whole sermon here, but I'm not going to. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Or in other words, walk in wisdom to those who don't hold the same beliefs you hold, who don't believe in the same Jesus that you believe in, who don't have the same convictions you hold to. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside of your belief system, making the best use of your time or with your Facebook posts or with your social media interaction. And then listen to verse six. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The only thing that's gonna change the hearts of individuals, one way or the other, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the president, not the legislatures, not the Supreme Court. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as Christians and as a church have a massive responsibility with the gospel. And so let me just encourage you, as you go to work, and there will be opinions tomorrow at work, let your words be seasoned with salt and make sure you know how to answer those who sit across the desk from you or across the table from you or across the internet screen from you who don't believe the same way you believe. That's my admonition as your pastor, okay? Take it for what it's worth. Do with it what you will. I'm happy for the, for the decision, but I also want us to be Christ-like in our response, in our celebration of that, okay? So as we continue our series today, we're talking about traveling light, and we're trying to unload things that burden us down. We're finishing this up today. Next week, we're gonna begin our July month of pastor's choice. So you're gonna hear from all of our different pastors on staff, and I'm very excited about that. These guys are incredible communicators and preachers, and you're gonna get to hear what God has laid on their heart for you. But we're gonna finish this up today. We're gonna talk about something today that's pretty heavy, and that is the confession of sin. And sin is one of these words that we just really, we don't use it a lot because we don't really like it a lot. I mean, we use it when we talk about other people and what they're doing wrong, but we just don't flippantly throw it around because it just has a level of weight to it like when, you're, when your kids do something wrong, you don't call them into your room and you go, you have sinned against me. And we don't really throw that around there. When you go to work and you didn't do something the way that the boss wanted you to do it, he doesn't call you in his office or she doesn't call you into her office and say, you have sinned against the company. No, you, you just don't hear that. The IRS, when you got audited and you, they found a discrepancy in there, they don't send you a letter and say, you have sinned against the government because we just don't use that word in that way because with that word comes a high level of accountability. There comes a high level of even some kind of punishment that, that comes along with this word sin because sin is attached to divinity. It's attached to divinity. Here is the definition. Sin is a transgression of divine law, that's it, it, it that's, that's it, it's a, it's a transgression or it's a breaking of a divine law or God's standard, God's law, that's what sin is. Any act regarded as such, as such a transgression, especially a willful or deliberate, so with that comes the idea that we've intentionally committed sin, we premeditated our sin against divine law, the violation of some religious or moral Principle. And so this word sin is not something that we just embrace and we just throw it around there and use it a lot because there's just a high, high, high level of accountability that comes with sin. Rather, what we'd rather say is this. We'd like to say, I made a mistake, right? Oh, I just made a mistake. And I was just, you know, driving along and the guy pulled out in front of me and yeah, I shouldn't have probably did what I did or said what I said or but I just made a mistake. We don't wanna, we don't wanna call it a sin because we, a mistake just means that I had a lapse in judgment. You know, here's, actually here it is, an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by just 
poor reasoning. We just had a, a moment where we just kind of went, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I'm over at your house and we're watching a football game and the Dallas Cowboys are playing the Washington Commanders. And um, yeah, that's, that's got to get used to that one. Um, so scary. Um, but, but you're watching the game and I've got your remote control and I'm celebrating the Dallas Cowboys scored a touchdown. I go to do a high top five and I forget I got the remote and I throw the remote control through your TV and shatter your 65 inch TV. And all I got to do is go, I have sinned greatly against you. No, that's not what I would say. I'd go, oh, sorry about that. I made a mistake. I apologize. I go out, buy you a new TV, and we put it up, and you're happy, and I'm happy. But, but that's what a mistake is. There's just not the same level thing. And when we make a mistake, we can kind of say this. We can kind of say, well, you really can't be mad at me. I just made a mistake. And after all, don't we all? Don't we all make mistakes? I mean, you try that. Um, with, with, your, um, with your parents, you know? It's like, they, they're like, no, it's a little bit more of a mistake. This was intentional. You intentionally did that. Or with your spouse, when you've done something evil against them, they, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. No, a mistake is poor reasoning. Sin is against God. And the difference is, is that when we are mistakers, all we need to do is just be more careful. I gotta pay a closer attention to how I'm holding on to things. I gotta make sure I don't knock over something. That's, when we're mistakers, we just need to be more careful. However, when we're sinners, we need a savior. We need a savior because we have sinned, we've done something against a divine law that God has sent down to us. There's an Old Testament story that probably all of you are familiar with, or you're, whether you have been in church all your life or not, you're vaguely familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard about a guy named David and this woman named Bathsheba. Now, we've all learned about David from the early days that we were in school or in church, you know, and maybe in Sunday school or kids' church. And when you're really young, you learn about David and Goliath, right? You learn that David was a shepherd. He beat a bear up with his bare hands. And you, you learn about those things. But when you become a teenager, you learn about David and Bathsheba. And as adults, we hear about David and Bathsheba because we take, you know, the story of David and we kind of contextualize it into different parts. We're not over there teaching um, your, your third grader about David and Bathsheba, just so you know, all right? They're not learning this story today. Um, they may learn about David and Goliath, but, but that's different. But so we, this is one of those that we need to hear often because David was a man who committed a great sin and he's kind of been marked for that for his whole life. And here's what, how the story unfolds in 2 Samuel eleven twelve. 12. It says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch watching Netflix and eating popcorn. And he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. To which you would go, why would a woman be bathing on her roof in the middle of the day, Right? But if you ever go to Israel, which, by the way, i am still got some spots available if a few of you'd like to go. We're going in, in uh, March and April. Um, but you can go, and they've uncovered David's king's palace. And you can see how it's laid out that David could easily have gotten up from his couch, walked across, and looked out the window and saw the rooftops where they would shower uh, all along the city. And so he saw this lady bathing on the rooftop, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And when he sent and inquired about it, somebody's little red flag went up, I think. And they said, is this Bathsheba 
She's the daughter of Eliam, and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So somebody in their way of confronting David as the king, they said, now David, you're asking us to go get this woman that you saw bathing on the rooftop. Isn't she the daughter of someone? And isn't she the wife of someone? To which David acknowledged and he said, David sent the messengers and he took her and she came to him and he lay with her. The story unfolds that David, that this lady conceived a child and her husband was on the battlefield. So David went and brought him in and tried to get them to sleep together so he would think that the baby was gonna be his baby, but the man, because he was a, a man of battle and he was like, I, my men are out fighting, I'm not gonna sleep with my wife, he slept at the foot of the bed, and then David said, well, just put him on the front line so that he'll get killed in battle, and nobody will ever know if it's her, his kid or not. And so that's what happened. But what happened overall, this guy died, and so David has to come to terms. But the sin that David committed is he saw something he couldn't help but seeing. I mean, after all, he's just out there and he's looking around and he saw something, but then he sent for her and then he sinned with her. So there was some premeditation to this. This was a sin. And along came this guy by the name of Nathan. Nathan was a prophet. And Nathan was a man who was his job was to point out sin. That was his job. And he comes along and he points out David's sin specifically. In 2 Samuel 12, 9, here's what he said. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? David, why have you sinned? He didn't just, leave, just come right out and say this. He told him a story. He told him a story about a man who, had, who was a traveler uh, through the city, and there was a man who had one little lamb that he had raised from a baby. And then there was a rich man who had multiple sheep. He had hundreds of them. And when this sojourner came through, he came to the home of the man who had a hundred. And this man who had a hundred went and got the one from the guy who only had one and had it killed so that he could feed this sojourner. David heard this story, which is a hypothetical story, but he was infuriated. He said, you go get the man, bring him here, and we will kill him right here on the spot. And you know what Nathan said? You are the man. You are the one who went and took another man's wife and slept with her and then sent him off into battle to have him killed. David, you have sinned against the Lord. You have sinned. And after that, David realized he had been called. We think this was about a year after uh, that sin had taken place because the baby had fallen ill right after this conversation. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And as a result of this conversation, and as a result of this confession, sometime along the way, David wrote for us Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's confessional psalm. So if you have your Bible and you wanna turn there, we're gonna look at four things about David's confession of his sin that I think we can all learn from, and especially those who are currently living in blatant sin against God. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we need to hear this message. The first thing that I want you to get from this is genuinely confess your sin to God. If we're gonna get right with God, we must genuinely confess our sin to God. The first six verses here, David kind of lays it out. He says, have mercy on me. We just sang about that. God, I want you to not give me what it is that I desperately or really 
deserve. Please have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And according to your abundant mercy, God, I want you to blot out my transgression or take an eraser and just erase this sin from my record. If you will, just take the white out and blot out the sin from my record so that when it's pulled up, no one will see it. God, please don't give me what it is that I do deserve. And he goes on and he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity or my sin and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So think about this in terms of this being about a year after he had committed that sin with Bathsheba, sending her husband off to be murdered or killed in battle. So he basically had him murdered. And so David has for one year almost dealt with the guilt of this sin. He's been carrying this burden. And so in this confessional psalm, he says, hey, listen, I know my transgression more than anyone. I know my sin greater than anybody else. You can point it out all you want to, but I already know it. And I'm carrying this load of guilt. And my sin is ever before me. I am totally aware of that. And every night when I lay my head on my pillow, I think about it. Every morning when I wake up, I remember it. Every time I see my pregnant wife, I remember how she got there and what happened as a result of that. His sin was always before me, but perhaps he had never felt the entire weight of it until he was confronted by Nathan, the prophet. So he goes on and he says, against you, you only, talking to God, have I sinned. That's because it was a divine law that he broke. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I've done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What David was saying, he says, I know that I have sinned against the divine law of God. And God, whatever judgment you choose to judge me with, I deserve it and you are just in doing it. Any way that God chooses to deal with us in our sin, he is just in doing it. He can do whatever he wants, but David was genuinely confessing his sin. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me, basically saying that I was born a sinner, which all of us are born a sinner. Uh, uh, Paul wrote, in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why you're two-year-old, you're three-year-old. You don't have to teach them to sin, right? It comes pretty naturally. Tantrums just flow out of them. Learning to run the other way when you say come here, it just is kind of a natural thing that they learn. Why? Because they're born with a sin nature inside them, and it just flourishes as we grow up, right? And it just gets on out there. So we're all born sinners, and that's what David even here is acknowledging. He goes on, he says, behold, God, you delight in truth in the inward being. So he says, so God, inside me, I know the truth. My sin is ever before me. I, I know that. But God, you delight in my acknowledgement of that. You delight in me, uh, delight in the truth in my inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret Basically, God is saying, I'm not interested in your excuses or the justification of your sin because we can all justify it, right? You, you can justify where you are in your sinful lifestyle. We all can. We can say, well, it's because of my circumstances. You don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And if you were where I was, you would do what I would do. Maybe so, but it doesn't justify it 
in any way. What he's looking for is an honest assessment of where you are in your sinfulness. He's looking for us to understand the truth and acknowledge the truth in our lives. And we must genuinely seek forgiveness or genuinely confess our sin. The second thing is we must earnestly request God's forgiveness. Earnestly request God's forgiveness. And that's what David does here in the psalm. He says, God, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. This was a sacrificial um, part of the, of the sacrifice that they were making. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. God, your cleansing is what's gonna make me right. Let me hear joy, let me hear gladness, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. God, in all of that, I genuinely confess my sin to you and I am genuinely asking you for your forgiveness. Restore to me that. And so he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. So he's saying, God, I want you to forgive me, and I want you to take my sins and throw them into that sea that we sung about just a few moments ago. Throw them into that sea who has no bottom and has no shore. Throw it as far as the east is from the west so that my sins are remembered and not counted against me any longer. God, I desperately ask for you to forgive me because I acknowledge that I have sinned against you you and I have sinned greatly against you. And that's where David is in this psalm of confession. The third thing that he says is he says, desperately seek a heart of renewal. Desperately seek a heart of renewal. Here's what he says in verses 10 through 12. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In other words, God, I want you to make my heart agree with your heart when it comes to sin. Help me get to a place where I see the wickedness in my life as much as you see the wickedness in my life. Help me to see it the way you see it. And help me to agree with you in that assessment of my sin. And then, God, please cast me not away from your presence. Please don't stop using me for your good and for your glory. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. He's saying, God, don't stop convicting me of my sin. And this is where some people get. They get to a place where they, they sin over and over and over. They just live in an immoral lifestyle or they're living in a life of just full of lies and cheating and, and, uh, and what, what have you and all these kinds of things. And they live there so long that they no longer feel or sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And David is saying, don't stop convicting me of my sin. Don't stop convicting me of what I have done wrong. And Please preserve me in service for you. Don't stop letting me be useful to you. Please, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me what it was like when I realized the weight of my sin at the first and you forgave me of that. Help me to get back, back to that. Restore to me that joy and uphold me with a willing spirit. And so David was just saying, God, please renew my heart, which is what all of us need to be praying God, always renew my heart. And that's even when we, when we look in the culture around us, that's what we need. We need a heart renewal. We need people to see sin the way God sees sin and respond to sin the way God wants us and desperately wants us to respond to sin. And then he goes on and he says to freely share God's forgiveness. And that's what he does. He says, then after you have, after I've um, admitted my sin, 
I've asked for your forgiveness. You've restored my heart or renewed my heart. And then I will teach other sinners or transgressors, transgressors your ways. This is why we have Psalm 51. Because David was saying, I'm gonna teach people, maybe he didn't know how many people, but millions upon millions upon millions, potentially billions upon billions of people have learned how to respond to sin in their life through David's writings. And he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Many people have been restored to a right relationship with God through David's words and through his sin with Bathsheba. He says, deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or it, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He's saying, listen, I can bring all the dead animals at your feet that I want to. And if I walk out of there and continue to do the same thing, I have not pleased you one bit. He says, but what God is pleased with, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You can bring all the dead animals you want, but if you don't have a brokenness in you toward your sin, God will not be pleased with you. He says, I'm not, God is not, does not despise somebody who comes with him with a broken, contrite spirit toward the sin that they're committing. God is pleased with that. And when we come to him with that, he responds with open arms, full of forgiveness. David didn't come to him to beg for his personal happiness, restore my joy to me, God, even if it means that I'm gonna be living in an immoral relationship. God restored my joy to me, even if it means that I have to cheat my boss out of some money. God restored the, and he didn't come begging for his personal happiness. He begged for God to use him and to set him apart for service to him, he pleaded for holiness. He pleaded for a heart that had a heart for God and not for his own sinful lifestyle. So if we go back to the story, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he writes Psalm 51 out of this ad ad admission. And then Nathan responded and he said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. And I look at that and you go, so is that easy? I mean, all he had to do was just say, I have sinned, I have sinned against the Lord. And the prophet Nathan said, the Lord has also put away your sin, you shall not die. It was that simple. And we go, man, God, it has to be more than that. I mean, David has to do something more than that more than just this recognition of his sin and a confession of his sin, it has to be more. Listen, don't be confused into thinking that God doesn't despise sin by the ease in which David was forgiven because God does despise sin. God hates sin. God hates sin so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the penalty for David's sin. He paid the penalty so that David would not have to die because as a result of his sin, Jesus died because of his sin. So this judgment needed to be cast upon someone, and it was Jesus. Over in the book of Romans, here's what Paul says about that. God put Christ forward as a propitiation. 
And if you'll say that word, you'll spit in the back of the head of the person in front of you, so don't say that word out loud. But, but God, God put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And what he's saying is that God's wrath and God's hatred and God's, the way God despises sin was only satisfied by Jesus Christ being hung on the cross. And through his shedding of blood for your sins and for my sins. And when he did that, he satisfied God's wrath for sin. He, he satisfied God's wrath for the sins David had committed and the sins that you and I committed. His blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat and it can only, that's the only acceptable sacrifice for the sins that we commit. And Jesus satisfied that. So he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you're sitting here today and you go, well, listen, I'm really not that bad. I mean, David was a pretty bad guy. He, I mean, he slept with another man's wife and he had the guy killed. I mean, the worst I've done is I cussed a guy out the other day. And we go, well, that's not too bad, you know? But listen, if we say we've not sinned, we're a liar. We deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to those around us if we say we have not sinned. He said, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not even in us. So don't lie to yourself. Ask yourself this, what will I do about my sin? What will you do about your sin? Here's what John said. He said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everything that David prayed in that prayer in Psalm 51, John says that, that God says he will do it. If we confess our sin, acknowledge our sin before God, ask for his forgiveness, he is faithful and he's just and he will forgive our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will take the eraser and he will erase the sin from the record. He will take the whiteout and he will blot the sin off the record. You will no longer be held accountable for that sin any longer because Jesus has already been held accountable for your sin in the sense that he died for your sin. He became the substitutionary sacrifice for you. He took the death you deserved. He took the punishment you deserved and in turn gives you a gift you don't deserve and that is forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the sooner you admit you're a sinner in need of a savior, the sooner you can experience the grace and forgiveness that comes from the savior. And today, that's what we're all about. We want you to know Christ. We want you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in, but a follower of Jesus Christ. And the sooner you admit you need a savior, the sooner you can experience the joy of salvation and the joy and the freedom of forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. And today, maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted you. You kind of feel something inside of you going, hey, I kind of want that. I want that. There's something to me that's saying, I'm drawn to that. Well, Paul also said, if we confess with our sin, our, confess our mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I've got a little prayer up here for you. This prayer is not magical. It hasn't been tested necessarily against um, you know, anything in particular other than against the word of God saying, this is what we do in order to admit that we're a sinner in need of a savior and we choose to follow Christ. So if you're here today and you wanna become a follower of Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. God, I admit that I am a sinner who needs a savior. And I would just say, 
Can't say that you're a mistaker in just need of an apology. No, I admit that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I've sinned against you and I owe you a debt that I can never repay. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt for my sin. Today, I'd like to experience your forgiveness by accepting the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross as a payment for all of my sins. Today, I'm asking Jesus to be my Savior. And that's what we want for you today. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love to talk to you about that. You pray that prayer, Jesus says he will forgive you and you're his child. You're a follower of Jesus. You are on your way to heaven, you're forgiven. And we would love to give you today, as a follower of Jesus, these boxes that we have, they're, they're new believer boxes. And inside these boxes, we have some gifts for you. We have a new believer's Bible in here uh, that will help you in a reading plan. We've got some reading plans for you uh, daily through the book of John, also one to kind of give you an overview of the Bible in 30 days. We've got a journal in here for you. We've got a little coffee mug for you to drink while you're reading the Word of God and learning, and we've got a pen, and then your next steps are right there on the lid. So if you'd be interested in following Jesus today and letting us help you in your new journey, meet us back in the guest VIP room right after I pray a prayer here in just a moment. But today, if you're a Christian, listen, this message applies to you as well. David was anointed the king, but yet he fell into sin and he admitted his sin. He needed to restore his relationship back to God. And there are Christians today that are living in sin and you need to come to a place that you realize the weight of your sin and the sacrifice Jesus made for you and how can you continue in sin? Today's a day of confession, not to me, but to God. So let's all stand together. Father, we love you and we're so thankful for salvation. God, I thank you for this confessional prayer of David's, God, that just um, reminds us of the forgiveness that can be had if we would just come to you earnestly, confessing our sin, asking for forgiveness, seeking renewal in our heart, and then God, help us to go out and share the good news of the gospel with others. If there are some here today that need Jesus as our Savior, my prayer today that it would be the day of salvation. And that they would either meet us down here at the front or meet us in the VIP room right after this so we can share with them how they can know that they're a child of yours. It's in Christ's name we pray.